Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. This is the podcast where we talk about building a better kind of online business, better being defined as one that has fewer moving parts, lower overhead, less headaches, less things that you'll have to juggle. But I have to be honest with you, over time I've learned to recognize pros and cons in just about every business model out there. And just this past week I was in a situation where I thought to myself, It would be better in this particular case, in this circumstance, if I had a bigger type of business front to present to the prospect than a smaller one. So let me just explain briefly. I have been in the online world doing business here for 25, I think, years it is now. I started in 1998. I took two full years to experiment with different ideas in the early 90s before I committed to building a digital agency type of business. Now, keep in mind, uh, an agency type business back in that time was a lot different than agency businesses in this time, meaning that paper and ink advertising was still big. Magazine sales were still big. I mean, they were all being affected, but they hadn't come to the point where we recognize them today, where there's just, as compared with the olden days, few surviving. And I recognized early on that When you're competing for a client's work, when you're going to provide a service for them, let's say you're going to be a marketing consultant or a graphic design agency or an ad agency or any type of agency that involves creating things, creating assets that in turn will help that company make money, then there is an ROI that's connected with what they're paying you, what they're getting, and what the end result is. And it took me a while to realize this, but back then things like um, charts, graphs, um, in other words, examples of what you've done, what's gone into it, and all, all of those things were considered more important, I believe, than, than today. In other words, you can impress people by giving them this you know, 20-page report of all of the work that you've done each and every month for them. But at the end of the day... The real ROI, the real return on investment, of course, is going to be best reflected in the bottom line. How much more money are we making as a result of doing business with you, of having you do our designs or having you organize our events or having you consult with various marketing and advertising campaigns or telling us where to spend our marketing dollars? All of those things that the big agencies for years, all of those services have provided to mid-sized to large companies. And so over time, it became increasingly difficult for one agency to stand out above another simply because the tactics had become worn over time. In other words, if you have a, a place where ads are displayed and there's it's just loaded with one ad after another, basically selling the same kind of product or service, Back then, you know, you just thought, well, we need better copy or we need better images. And even though all those things do have, you can make a point. You can say that, yes, if we had better copy, we would have more sales. If we had a more professional design, well, today I'm thinking about websites, but back then we might be thinking about ad layouts and advertising campaigns and things of that nature. If we could just make all of those better, then that would in turn give us a better bottom line and create more sales. But what happens is the more people that you have in the game, the more difficult it is for any one of those things to stick out. 
there was a time when I'm sure that having the best logo on the block really did make a significant difference, at least in getting noticed for the first time. But over time, it seems that logo design has become less important. I'm not saying for every single type of business out there. I'm making general statements here, but I'm doing it to make a point. And the point is, is that the world that we lived in when I first started online and the world that we live in today is much different. Now, people are the same, but the way we view things has changed because we've just been bombarded by advertisement after advertisement, by marketing pitch after marketing pitch. And it seems that once a tactic becomes effective, then it becomes duplicated over and over and over again. For example, one of the things that was very popular over the past several years in the area of email marketing was storytelling. Books were written about it. The principles worked really well. But then after a while, if you get story after story after story in your inbox from multiple companies, you kind of get all storied out. And so in the effort to differentiate yourself from your competitor, after a while when there are X number of competitors, it becomes increasingly difficult because everyone is borrowing the same ideas from one another. And that's what I've watched happen over time. Now, before we go any further, today's episode is brought to you by two of my personal, very own marketing assets. Number one is the Digital Strategist Newsletter. It's available at jimsnewsletter.com. Matter of fact, by the time you're listening to this, the July episode will be out, so you can go ahead and check that out. The back issues are also available there in an archive if you want to check those out. And the OneToManySystem.com, which is available at OneToManySystem.com. And that is the culmination of my, I guess you could say my entire career of online marketing. That is the system. And what's great about this system is that the pieces can be swapped out. For example, one of the t things that I like to teach is being able to communicate with people either audibly like I'm doing now or through video. But... If people become quote-unquote all audioed out, then what's the next thing that you do? Maybe make shorter audios or you make the audios in part or like they used to do. You make the videos in part and you release them a few at a time. But once you have the basic system, once you know where the parts go, then it's just a matter of finding the right product to plug into that system. But the system is evergreen. It, technology may change, but once you recognize how the structure, the skeleton beneath the system, once you recognize how that works, you can use it over and over again. You can use it exactly like I presented in that system, which also includes the website design, which is designed to build your mailing list. Those two things, very important. But you can go ahead and check that out for yourself. It's available at onetomanysystem.com. Let me get back to what I was talking about here with the changes over time. So I began to notice that over time, people weren't gravitating towards or remembering the uh, company brand that I put so much effort into creating. Now, back then, I had a huge overhead, had a regular working office set apart with office equipment in it, printing equipment, binding machines, and all of that. It was a very stressful paper and ink kind of business publishing slash marketing but after a while i began to realize that everything was moving into the online world 
and I became one of the first generation of ebook publishers. This is going back in the 1990s. At this time, not all ebooks were published strictly by PDF, but they were also published by smaller HTML files, which kind of like created a website, but it was a book. And then it became more PDF, and then after that, of course, eventually Kindle was created, and then we have the types of formats that we have today. And so people are still using PDF files all of these years later. The HTML type of books kind of sort of died out, and then of course we have uh, the Kindle types of, of publications. And so, you know, I find it so interesting because back in the 90s, people would pay $100 for an ebook. You would basically get in an ebook the same marketing information that you would find in, let's say, a modern marketing course today, but it would all be in PDF format. There wouldn't be any audios, there wouldn't be any videos. And then by the time we reached around 2009 through 2010, the ability to sell a single file for $100 was no longer realistic and the returns were incredible. Matter of fact, I thought I sold a $1,000 product. I was a reseller of it. That was nothing but a PDF files. Now, the information was outstanding. Most of it really isn't that applicable for today, although the principles behind it, again, are evergreen. If there's a theme here, it's evergreen. Once you understand the mechanics of how something works, like marketing and advertising, then you have an evergreen foundation you can carry with you for the rest of your life. And that's why I put the one-to-many system together, because I believe that if you're here 20, 30 years from now, well, if we're here and the internet is still, uh, business is still being done, probably, I guess, right? Who knows? But the principles that you would learn from this course are still going to be applicable at that time. And when I go back over all of the marketing materials that I bought my entire life, completely immersing myself in this topic from back in the 80s, then I would say that all of those books distill down into uh, strategies, techniques, tactics. Of course, the tools always change, but the idea behind them is more or less the same. Then it's just like being in sales all of your life where you understand what the foundation is that you have to make the sale. For example, a lot of salespeople, the really good ones, only sell high-ticket items for the companies they work for. Those are the only companies they want to be involved as a part of their sales force for because they recognize that the effort that you spend a lot of times with an individual, the time spent to sell a $100 product. Okay, let's not say $100 because $100 doesn't go very far anymore. But the amount of money that you spend to sell a $1,000 product, let's say, or a $5,000 product can be the same amount of time that you would spend selling a $20,000 product. The only thing that's different is the spending capabilities of the person you're trying to sell to. And so, for example, one of my friends decided that he was going to be a salesperson for a utilities company and his client, instead of being an, an individual, would be a county or a township. So when he makes a sale, the percentage that he gets off of that high ticket item is a whole lot more than, let's say, the percentage that somebody would get. The percentages stay the same, but the dollar amounts are different, right? So the money he's pocketing is significant. Matter of fact, one of my friends, the money he was making was so significant that the executives in the company were making less money than he was making because he was that good at sales. But now his mindset is, 
I don't want to get, um, you know, I don't want to get a 10% return on a $10 product. It just doesn't make any sense putting in that kind of effort to sell that kind of thing. I don't want to get, uh, you know, a 10% return on a $1,000 product when, when, I have the potential to sell a 50 or a hundred or half a million dollar product, you see? So it all depends on what opportunity you have to sell what. So if we were, you and I were professional salespeople and that's what we did for a living. And let's say you and I had the ability to sell anything. All you have to do is put us in a room with somebody who likes, needs, or wants that kind of thing. Right? Car sales work that way. That's why you see a lot of people that enjoy selling cars. They make a good living. They sell high-end cars. But you know, people that can barely afford to go to McDonald's aren't going to go and buy an $80,000 or $100,000 car. They're probably not even going to buy a $40,000 or a $30,000 car. They'll probably get a used car. And see, that's the difference with the mentality and the strategy and the tactics that are used. It's not just the fact that those things are in use but who is your customer? Who is it that you're trying to sell? And that was the push for a lot of years with high ticket products and that was the push with agencies. So if you have an agency styled business and then you have the opportunity to sell a large business, then you have all of the pieces in place that they're looking for. They don't wanna deal with a freelancer or a subcontractor and that was the mentality back then. Today, all of that has changed, however, if you do go to an agency, now we can be talking about any kind of agency. We can be talking about um, a website development agency or let's say the website development agency that um, produced Honda's, uh, the automobile website, or the agency that produces the BMW website or the advertising agency that spends their dollars and creates their campaigns. When you get right down to it, what they know, and let's say what a lower level type of, of competitor may know, may all be the same thing, but they have the ability to close the bigger company because maybe they present themselves in, in such a way that it meets the big company's criteria. So in, in the early days of my business, I had to meet a certain type of criteria in order to attract the bigger clients. So I needed a physical office. I needed... Um, you know, all of the equipment, all of the printing equipment, all of the binding equipment, all of the publishing equipment. I needed all of that or else I could not enter that game. So today, being that things that are online, you really don't know who you're dealing with. I mean, they could just be somebody working from a small one bedroom apartment on the other side of the world, or they could be working in a big major city. You just can't tell oftentimes, sometimes you can tell, by looking at their website. So for example, back in the day, the, there weren't a whole lot of people that could really afford really nice professional looking graphics. Today, just, there's just about everyone can afford really nice looking graphics. Now I know all graphic designers aren't created the same, just the way all copywriters aren't created the same, but if you're looking to create an image online, you could do it easier today to meet a certain group's expectations than you would have been able to do, let's say, 20 years ago. Matter of fact, the budget needed to do it is a fraction of the cost that it would take back then. So I'm saying all this because recently somebody came up to me and they wanted me to 
take over a certain aspect of their marketing, but they thought I owned a big company. And the fact is that for the last several years, I've been focusing on repackaging myself as a solo entrepreneur. So when people come to me for marketing, these are the types of individuals that want to go outside their company. They don't want to hire an employee to do it. I'm more of a um, uh, hired gun, I guess, so to speak, that they're looking for to come in, somebody who specializes in a certain kind of marketing. And that's what I promote in one of my marketplaces. I'm actually in three marketplaces today, believe it or not. And some of it, it was choice and some of it was because it didn't make sense the way things are playing out in the world today to put, as that old saying goes, all of my eggs in one basket. Matter of fact, you know, I'm just talking off the top of my head right now. I hope you don't mind. All of this stuff was on my mind. And I think, let me just sit down, hit record and just have this conversation. It's you and I, it's me and you (laughs) together. And uh, let me just share some thoughts with you about this because there's no use pretending that there aren't certain challenges out there when there are obviously are. And I'm experiencing them, you're experiencing them, we're all living in the same world. But recently a friend of mine expressed his frustration. That's what started my thinking about this episode today. He expressed his frustration because his dilemma was that, now I'm just going to change the categories here for his privacy, for the sake of his privacy. I guess it would be good, though, to finish my original thought before telling his story. All right, getting back to what I was saying earlier about agencies and building and expectations and becoming a solo entrepreneur, more of a freelancer, hire gun type of person. The other week, uh, I was faced with a challenge where somebody wanted to potentially hire me, but they felt more comfortable with a big company behind behind me. And so I assured them that they had nothing to worry about, that I would get the job done, but it took some convincing. And basically what I told them was the truth. <laughs> when you get this, when you hire a company... Oftentimes, whether it's a design firm or an ad firm, your account gets handed off not to the person who sold you, which is the person who's knowledgeable about the comings and goings of that niche and what's been working and what hasn't. They can answer your questions. But often, oftentimes they get passed off to a junior associate and there's a manager over them. And there's a lot of people that don't really have a lot of experience actually doing the legwork. They present that final product to the manager who presents it to you or in cases of digital services um, there's somebody looking over their work and basically has to get the stamp of approval before it goes out there but the big money that you're paying is for the overhead and you really have somebody with only a few years experience actually doing the work you just don't realize it it's kind of like going to a uh, a restaurant where there has the name of a well-known world-renowned chef on the outside, and that chef isn't actually in there preparing your meal. The people the chef trained are in there making your meal. Of course, that makes sense, right? So I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I'm saying that in in your mind, if you think you're getting one thing or you think it looks one way behind the scenes, it's not until you actually work behind the scenes that you see what happens. I was being billed out at over $100 an hour back in 1988, and I was making as um, a first as a newbie, 
$7.35 out of that $100 plus an hour. And AT&T, the company that subcontracted my company, which is one of the largest uh, phone companies in the world at the time, of course, they didn't have the idea that a first-year associate who's only getting paid less than $10 an hour was actually doing the work. So they were paying a hundred and something dollars to to a young person to do the work and didn't even realize it. But like I was saying, this person had certain expectations. I told them I would be doing the work directly, not an associate of mine. And then everything turned out okay. I got the job and was able to produce the result, make the client happy, and everything went great. But I thought to myself, if this ever happens again, I need to be able to send them to a place online where what they see and what they get will meet their expectations. And so what I did was I went ahead and I recreated a large agency website. I did this in three days, and all I did was I bought a template kit. I looked for one of the fancier designs that I could find, something that had a lot of sizzle to it. I wound up, uh, I'm not going to tell you which brand that I got, but it's a it's a whole kit where you install it, all the pages are done, you just go in and change the logo, you change the information, which is really easy to do if you already have an existing site. You just move the information over. If you need to shorten, let's say, a, um, you know, a 602 uh, paragraph section of text into half that, you put the 600 words into chat GPT and say, condense this down into 300 words, but... Make sure you retain the uh, original meaning and the context in which all of this has been written. You hit the button, out comes your, or you can even say, just give me four examples of this, or three or two. And, and that's how I built it. And technically, Lori and I have an LLC that we operate together along with two other independent businesses. You can structure your business in such a way that you can have multiple businesses functioning through a main business. Now, I know some people will frown on this because they think about worst case scenarios, liability, what happens if there's a falling out of the partners, what happens if there's a divorce, what happens if some damages are done. That's something that you'll have to work out for yourself. I'm just explaining my particular situation. I just learned from experience, you know, there's nothing wrong with creating four doors or three doors. Let me put it that way. Low, medium, and high for three different kinds of clients. So if you do have an agency type of business, you can create a solo brand, you can create a high ticket agency brand, and you can create something in the middle. And depending on what type of client may come to you, you can put them through door number one, door number two, or door number three. Nothing really changes. It's just the way of advertising. It's the way of marketing. It's the way that you decide you can best appeal to that particular type of client. It's something that I've thought about quite a bit. It's not until recently that I've actually began to test it out. And of course, what all three businesses have in common is they're all represented by the same salespeople. And so you can go from there. Matter of fact, you can send somebody through the high ticket and maybe it's just a little bit out of their range, but because you have a mid and a low ticket version of it, and of course we're talking about different websites in this example, not different product offerings, it's just basically looking at the same mountain, but looking at it from different angles. Maybe I shouldn't call it a mountain. That doesn't sound very positive. It's like looking at the same scenery, but from different angles. We'll put it that way. Anyway, I went ahead and I built that, and I'm in the middle of building the same thing out for Lori. And I thought to myself, this is just crazy that an entire type of uh, website with the pricing and the wording and everything like that can be done. Now, granted, I've been building websites for a long time. I took my time 
and it only took me two and a half days to do it. But that said, I didn't deliberate or get bogged down in any one area. If I can get to 80 to 85% satisfaction, I'll launch. And so that was my approach to this. But I thought, okay, maybe it would take you maybe twice as long. Maybe it would take you an entire week to do it. But just think of what you could have. Now, these are website kits. What a kit is, it is a prepackaged design. It has the holder text. It has the images. Maybe you replace some images, not all, or just use the pages that you need. Maybe all you need is your home page and your contact page and about page, depending on what type of market that you're in. Or you have the very simple kind of page that I have at OneToManySystem.com. If you're looking to sell information products or consulting or coaching or anything like that, a page like that is perfect. And you can set it up where you have, again, uh, a different product, even though it's the same product, but for different buyer types. Okay, so let me push that to the side and get back to what I was saying about my friend. My friend started a Facebook group way back when, and let's just say for the sake of this recording, the topic was email marketing for business. That was the topic of the group, let's just say, for his privacy's sake. And the group thrived for years. He even launched products and services inside the group that helped his bottom line immensely. And quite a few of the group members showed interest in his offerings. His income was steadily increasing. Everything was going well. And then eventually all of that changed. The times changed, focuses changed, and it wasn't something that happened overnight. Some change happened seemingly overnight, like we experienced in 2020 with the shutdowns and everything, and that caused other changes to happen overnight. Some changes occur over several years, some over a decade, but in his case, everything was great until it wasn't, and I think that's really the, the way that I could put it most accurately. Now, maybe you're feeling like that right now, and the reason why I wanted to touch on this today was that he told me that he realized his topic wasn't generating the same kind of excitement that it used to several years earlier, and he said that the focus seemed to be moving on to other things, and it's similar to how... Uh, viewership goes when a once popular TV series has been around for a while and everyone's talking about it and suddenly it drops off over time. And then what happens is they put spinoffs, kind of like the same topic or sometimes they use other characters to keep the storyline going. And it's kind of like they're trying to squeeze every bit of money out of that topic. You know, we've seen that happen with uh, superheroes in, in the movies Marvel Comics, DC Comics, it was like 10 years ago, superhero movies were hot. And they got hotter and hotter, and there were more of them and more of them, and these big budgets. And, and then suddenly, they weren't hot anymore. And they began to bomb at the box office. It's almost like people had enough of that. The focus had moved on to other things. And so what I realized that his problem was, which is something that all of us are going to face sooner or later, is... Can you still find enough people interested in paying for whatever it is that you're offering or not? We're not just looking at one big pool of people. His pool of people happened to be on Facebook. And so he decided that, well, maybe I should try and do the same thing that I did on Facebook, but do it on YouTube using video. And maybe I should start a podcast around the topic because there's audiences of people there that aren't part of the Facebook world and vice versa. But none of those efforts yielded much of a return. 
And that's when he began to ask the question, can I find enough people interested in this topic to keep on building a business around it or not? And that brings us to the reality of shifting interests because, you know, the other day I was looking through my music folder and most of the music I've been copying from device to, to another device to another device over the years. And most of my favorite music I downloaded back in the Napster days. Now, if you're too young to remember the 90s, it was one of the first big free music services. Super controversial. I got in early. I downloaded as around the clock. I was downloading all the music that I uh, liked, all the music that I grew up with, all the classic songs, whatever. And the other day, I'm browsing through hundreds and hundreds of songs that I had downloaded over the years. I even listened to a few of them for 15, 20 minutes or so. And it was disappointing because I didn't feel the same energy those songs used to bring me, used to give me. While some of the songs certainly brought back memories, it was like I, I, they just didn't have the same effect on me today that they did back then. And I'm guessing if you did the same thing, maybe your experience would be similar. Because, you know, we change over time. Many of our interests change over time. Do you spend money on the same things today that you did in the past? Or have things changed? And so when I think about this, I think about interests and, and how intense and how involved we are in certain topics. You know, some of the things I spent money on, I'm almost embarrassed now looking back that I wasted money on certain things. You know, I used to invest in these big books and they spent $40, $50 on a software book. And that software, would, that book would be obsolete along with the software in a few years. That was back then when everything used to be on a CD and I used to have all this printing equipment and I did all of this stuff. I guess, you know, I had to chalk it up to the experience was great at the time, but it wasn't as groundbreaking as I thought it was going to be. And so as the years pass by, things change, then maybe sooner or later, certain businesses get to the point where they have to ask, can they retain their audience? Can they grow it enough to be profitable or is it time to find a new audience? And when I talked to my friend about his situation, he thought that, well, if I just go over to YouTube, then I'm going to be a breath of fresh air because the people there haven't been exposed to me yet. If I just start a podcast, then the audio audience will really appreciate my content. But it's not the, so much him as it was the topic, because even though I'm not talking about the actual topic that his business is built around, we just used email marketing for businesses as an example at the time he was growing his facebook page other people were in that same niche growing their youtube audience and other people were in that in the podcasting niche doing the same thing for podcasting so maybe there were more people in the youtube area than there were in the facebook maybe there were the least amount in, in the podcasting world all talking about the same topic while he was growing his youtube group talking about that topic but what happens is either way as time has passed, the interest in the topic has dropped. And so him moving to YouTube and just converting it to a different format from discussion and community to video to audio isn't going to make up for the fact that there are fewer people who need or want that kind of information right now. As a matter of fact, as we go to look at things from a realistic, maybe even financial kind of mindset, you can simplify just about everything 
by looking at it through the lens of supply and demand. When the supply is not there but the demand is, the value goes up. When there's too much of a supply and not enough of a demand, the value goes down. And when we try and think in terms of business, business to business, B to C, B to B, and ask ourselves the question, what we can we create? What can we do that people would be willing to spend money on regularly, ongoing, month to month? I think if I could give you a homework assignment, it would simply be do your best to come up with some fresh new ideas or maybe reboot some old ideas that maybe the timing wasn't quite right. Think in terms of rewording, repackaging, rewriting, redesigning. And sometimes I've learned that I have to push myself to reignite my creativity. And I don't even think of myself as an overly creative person. I can look at other creative type people and think, well, they're a lot more creative than I am. But I tend to look at things more from a strategic point of view, breaking things down to the common denominators like supply and demand and like will people will people be willing to pay for this? The bottom line is the bottom line. But right now I have to say that in my own experience, the business sector seems to be spending money. And that's a plus when you're in B2B services. The public or consumer sector is falling rapidly into debt. However, I think I mentioned this either last week or the week before, and this simply means that there's going to be less disposable income for products that people wouldn't have thought twice about purchasing maybe even just a few years ago. Now, is that gonna change? Of course, eventually everything changes, but one of the things that is unique about the time that we're in now is that we have record debt on a consumer level. So remember 2008, when everything began to crumble? Well, the debt that we have right now exceeds the debt of 2008. So one of the things that I like to do is just get out there and talk to people, ask them what they're seeing, and try and compare what they're experiencing with what I'm experiencing to get a better idea. I don't listen to, I do listen to financial reports and job gains or losses and that type of thing, but I trust more what I can actually see when I, when it comes to where is the economy going and also it depends on where you live. I know here in the United States for example, if I lived in New York, I would probably be at a point I'm talking about New York City where I would be looking to close up shop there and move to a place where the overhead would be more manageable. Back in the old days people used to go from New York to New Jersey and then just, you know, cross over the bridge back and forth. But I think it's even beyond that now. The Northeast is very expensive. But then again, where I live here, the cost of living has gone up significantly. Inflation has affected people significantly. The difference is, is I live in an area where there are a lot of wealthy retired people. And so they're going out several nights a week to have dinner at nice restaurants. And, and they're not you know, gun shy about spending the money and doing things like home repair. Here in Florida right now, people in the home repair, I guess you would say, services, businesses, a lot of them are booked ahead for the next four or five months. In other words, if you had a torn screen, you'd be lucky for somebody to even get back to you this month, let alone come out and repair it. So, and a lot of that had to do with damage that was being repaired from the hurricane, which hit back in September. But I'm, I'm just mentioning this because every area is different. And so you have to navigate the terrain that you're working in. You can't just listen to a report that somebody's saying, 
Somebody will say, well, things are good or things are bad, but things are always selectively good or bad. But the overarching thing that I see right now is record consumer debt, and that's one of the things that I factor into my planning to the best of my ability. Consumer debt has hit a trillion dollars here in the United States. Now, that's according to several sources like ABC News, Bloomberg, The Hill. Americans owe nearly $1 trillion in credit card debt, and the Federal Reserve Bank of New York reported that the credit card balances increased more than $60 billion over a three-month period ending in December of 2022. So that goes to show you that inflation, coupled with a lot of other things, has created just an enormous amount of debt in a very short period of time. So another company that does this type of analysis, WalletHub reported that the total credit card debt of $1.2 trillion, which it hit at the end of 2022, is credit card debt is a significant contributor to consumer debt, but it's not the only type of debt which has increased. So sometimes when you think about debt and you think about credit cards, you kind of put on blinders and just think, okay, I just have to pay these credit cards off. And But that's just unsecured debt for the most part. There's other kinds of debt like car payments and other things that aren't included in that number. And so what I think is going to happen is, you know, from a business perspective, I'm looking at in the months ahead, are people going to be able to pay for, are they going to want to continue to pay for the products that I bring into the marketplace? Will they be able to afford them? So looking at it from a, a business perspective, I recognize this, and I hopefully you will too, that people are going to be scrutinizing their purchases more than ever. I mean, when we hit, when you hit record debt, that means now people aren't talking about it. Most people aren't going to tell you, I've got $20,000 in credit card debt. I'm behind on car payments or, you know, we're behind on insurance payments or we, we're using credit cards to buy groceries. People aren't going to volunteer that information, right, for the most part. I'm sure somebody might here or there, but most of the time people just put on a forced smile and go about their day. But what the numbers tell me is that there's a lot of people out there more often than not, more than not, that are really struggling right now. So when I bring that into how I'm planning my business decisions moving forward. But I look at the fact that people are going to be measuring the return on investment in the business world under a microscope in the months ahead. And so you want to make sure that you're bringing the kind of value that when your business, when your products or services get put under the microscope, that you know, you're giving people the kind of value that they're anticipating or hopefully maybe even exceeding the value that they're paying for. So it's just something that I wanted to throw out there because you have to, number one, decide what type of terrain am I working in right now? And are these things affecting what's happening or will they be affecting in the months to come? So, all right, I think that's a good place to wrap it up for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, please go ahead, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter or wherever you happen to be. Back episodes are also available at jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later. 